0: Good evening everyone, my name is Lockie. It's my privilege to be bringing the message tonight from God's word in our series on 1 Corinthians. So to start us off, I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever taken a step back and thought about what Christianity and what the church must look like to an outsider? We gather every week, we sing songs together, like who does that? We give our hard-earned money to the church. We sit for half an hour, sometimes a little bit more, and we listen to a person teach from a book that was written over 2,000 years ago in languages that no one speaks anymore to an audience halfway across the world about an invisible God and his son who was born of a virgin and then crucified as a criminal. Like, what? Does that seem strange to you? It's not the normal for the world. I think this is also, this strangeness, is also the feeling that people had back in Paul's day as well. If we remember the context of this letter, of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing a response to a letter that the Corinthians had sent to him. And we heard last week that Paul explained that when he was with the Corinthians, he preached Christ and him crucified, and that was all he decided to know among them. And this, in Corinth at the time, filled with philosophy and logic and arguments, this would have been crazy. This would have been absolutely unthinkable, totally upside down. So I can imagine the, Corinth, the Corinthians, sorry, in their letter, we're writing to Paul and they were asking him, Paul, why did you teach like this? Teach like none of the other teachers of our day. Why is your teaching so different? We we don't understand. Can you please explain it to us? And this week we get to see Paul answer that question. This week is Paul's defense of his methods, the upside-downness of the wisdom of God, the revelation from the Spirit and the folly to the unbeliever. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together tonight as your body, even though we be separated by distance. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you together and to learn more about you. We pray for open hearts, that you would be softening our hearts so that we might understand what you are trying to teach us from your word tonight. May we come away from this knowing you more and loving you more. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's get to it. Please feel free to open up your Bibles, either physical or electronic, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. So let's read. Verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So to start, there are a couple of little things I'd like to point out in this verse which aren't necessarily all that obvious on the first reading through. At least, they weren't obvious to me when I first read this passage. The first is that this section is a continuation of Paul's argument that he's made throughout this whole letter, but especially in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 2. Paul uses the word yet, which implies a connection, but also a contrast to that which he's been saying. And the second thing that we need to realize is that the emphasis of this first sentence is on wisdom. Now, almost anyone who knows me knows that I'm a bit of a language nerd. Okay, when I say a bit, I mean I'm a lot of a language nerd. I've studied languages all throughout uni. When I get some free time, I'm often sitting with a language textbook memorizing nouns and verbs. <laughs> Sounds like fun, hey? So being the language nerd that I am, I decided to check out this passage in the original Greek. So in Greek, one way that the author emphasizes something is to put that, that word at the start of the sentence. This is what Paul is doing here with his use of the word sophia, which is the Greek word for wisdom. He uses this as the first word of the sentence. And by doing so, he shows his readers that this is what I want to focus on. This is what you should be paying attention to here. This is my emphasis in this sentence. And so this leads to the question. What is this wisdom that Paul is emphasizing? Well... We get some clues from the next few verses. So read with me from verses 6 to 10. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the lord of glory but as it is written what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what god has prepared for those who love him these things god has revealed to us through the spirit so summarizing this paul tells us that this wisdom that he's emphasizing this wisdom that he's talking about it's somehow connected to his his point in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2, that it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. It's a secret wisdom and a hidden wisdom. And God decreed this wisdom before the ages for our glory. And none of the rulers of the age understood this. And finally, that God has revealed this wisdom to us through the Spirit. So this is a nice little list of things which, describes God's, which describe God's wisdom, but it doesn't really get us any closer to figuring out what this wisdom actually is. But if anyone has been paying attention over the last few weeks and been here with us and remembers Ollie's, and remembers Ollie's message from last week, you'll know that Paul also talked about wisdom in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. He even tells us what this wisdom is. So please turn back with me to chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. Paul writes, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So what Paul says here is that This wisdom of God is Christ crucified. So how are we to take that? I don't think what he's saying is that God's wisdom is the physical body of Jesus up on the cross. He's saying that God's wisdom is what Jesus' death on the cross achieved. It's God's plan of salvation for us through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. That is what the wisdom of God is. So now if we go back through that list that we made earlier of some of the attributes of this wisdom, I think it will all fall into place quite nicely. So first on that list, we had that it's connected to verses 1 to 5 of chapter 2. Paul even explicitly states that this is what he taught among the Corinthians while he was there in verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. This is God's wisdom. This fits with his denial of using lofty speech and plausible words of wisdom. He didn't have any arcane knowledge to give to the Corinthians, just a new and deeper perspective on the things that had happened. This is him again showing the unexpected nature of God's wisdom. And this leads into the next point. The wisdom of God is not of this age or of the rulers of this age. It's not worldly wisdom. It's not philosophy like the people in Corinth were flocking to in that day. It's not a man with a logical argument saying, this is how you should live and this is why you should believe it, that my way is the best way to live, that it's the meaning of life. God's wisdom is completely upside down compared to that. And verse 9 helps us to understand another few of those attributes that were on the list. This verse is an allusion to Isaiah 64, verse 4. So Isaiah starts chapter 64 with the words, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And in verse 4, he says, From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. The Jews were waiting and waiting for a Messiah to come and bring them out of their hardship. They were waiting for God to act and make all things right. And I think Paul is alluding to that here, saying, now the Messiah has come and he has been crucified. God has acted, and it's not in the way that we, with our worldly wisdom, expected. It's not in the way that the rulers of the day expected the Messiah to come. It's not the way that Paul himself expected the Messiah to come. It's a secret wisdom, hidden from the rulers, hidden from the people. But the Holy Spirit revealed to Paul... And has now shown to us that this is what God's people had been waiting for all along. The clouds of mystery surrounding God's plan had been swept away by his spirit. Their eyes had been opened. This new understanding of the world, that is God's wisdom. It's what Isaiah was waiting and longing for. God has acted and he has come down to his people, like Isaiah said. And finally, this wisdom of God was something God decreed before the ages. It's always been his plan. It didn't surprise him. He has always been in control. This wisdom, this salvation that Christ won for us, it was for us, it was for our glory. It's been God's plan for history all along. So what is God's wisdom? What is the idea that Paul thought so important that he decided it was all he would know among the Corinthians? God's wisdom is his plan to rescue us from our sins through his son on the cross. That means that we see the world differently. We see through the lens of the cross Our faith rests in the work that God achieved through Jesus, the one that he has prepared for us, not in the wisdom of the world, working our way to salvation, earning it, finding meaning somewhere outside of God. So as I said earlier, I'm a bit of a nerd. I love knowing things. I love learning things. And I really can't stand not knowing the answer to a question. And for me, sometimes this can, come, this can become a bit of an idol. I feel like God's wisdom isn't enough. I need that extra knowledge so I can feel content, so I can feel like I have value and worth. If I don't have that knowledge that I'm not living the good life, even in writing this sermon tonight, I wanted to bring you something profound and clever. Because that's me. But the point that Paul is trying to make here is that we don't need Locke's profound thoughts. What we need is God's wisdom, which is Christ crucified, and that's enough. So where are you looking for your good life? Are you looking for it in knowledge, like me, in a job, in a relationship, in good grades, possessions, positions, authority? This is worldly wisdom. That's where the world says that we find our value and our worth. It's having these that constitutes the good life. But God's wisdom, it flips this all on its head. The wisdom of God says that we can have none of these things and yet still be saved still be in a relationship with him, still be living the life that he desired and life to the fullest. It sounds crazy to the world, but this is the wisdom of God. So let's move on with the passage. Read with me from verses 10 to 13. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? which we've just been exploring, has been revealed to us through the Spirit. For us to be able to know it, it had to be revealed to us. This is the same for God. God needs to reveal himself to us for us to know him and to be in a relationship with him. Worldly wisdom and philosophy can find out some truth and postulate some attributes of God. but They can never get us to a place where we know God and we can never have a relationship with someone who we don't know think for a second about how you know anyone if you didn't know me how would you get to how would you go about getting to know me sure you could check the books check out the books that i read or find the find out the job that i have You could see what I studied at university. You could see what I do with my free time. You could go and see my friends and ask them to tell you about me. And eventually, you would find out some of the things that make me, me. But would you really know me? I don't think so. I think Paul would agree with me. To know me, we'd have to talk. I would have to reveal myself to you. Verse 11 says that no one knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person. So unless my spirit communicates to you, how can you know me? It's the same with God. We can look at nature and hypothesize and theorize things about God, but we can't know him in a personal, relational way. So unless God reveals himself to us, how can we know him? The short answer is that we can't. Verse 11 also says as much. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And Paul says that this Spirit of God searches everything, even the depths of God, the depths of what is his unsearchable wisdom, his thoughts that we could never comprehend. These things the Spirit of God knows. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. These are the things that the Spirit of God knows. And in verse 12, Paul says that we have received this spirit and we've received the spirit so that we might understand the things freely given us by God, so that the spirit might reveal to us these incomprehensible things, God's wisdom, his plan of salvation through the death of Jesus on the cross. It's a stumbling block to Jews. It's folly to the Greeks. But to those who are called, it is his power. How awesome is that? But how does this work? How does the Spirit enable us to truly understand God? How does it reveal him to us? We'll soon see the answer to this. But first, we come to verse 13. And there's a lot to unpack here. I'd say this is the culmination, the high point of Paul's defence for his teaching and preaching methods. So, let's read it together. Verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Can you see what Paul is saying here? He's claiming that the teaching Even the very words that he and the other apostles are speaking are not their own. They're from God. They're the words imparted to them by the Spirit. He's saying that God's speaking, not Paul or Cephas or Apollos, but God. These words are from God through the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Isn't that incredible? What does that mean for us, though? We don't have Paul here teaching us, imparting to us the words of God through his preaching, right? Well, actually, we kind of do. We've got this. Paul's statement here in verse 13 implies the same thing that 2 Timothy 3.16 states. All scripture is breathed out by God. This means that the words that the biblical authors wrote are God's words. They came from God himself. But how were they revealed to the authors? Through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that searches the depths of God, the Spirit that comprehends the thoughts of God. That Spirit is communicating and leading Paul to write what he wrote. So we asked the question earlier about how the Spirit reveals God to us. I think this is the answer. The Spirit reveals God to us through his word. Now, some people might think that's a bit strange. Surely God's Spirit can, maybe even should, reveal him to us directly in a spiritual encounter or a transcendent moment. Even the word spiritual comes from spirit. And of course, God can and does use spiritual visions and dreams and convictions to talk to people. We can't deny that, but it doesn't seem to be the norm for the way he reveals himself to us. And why is that? Is his revelation of himself through the Bible somehow less spiritual and supernatural? than one of these encounters, do we think that? Let me tell you something that really changed the way I looked at this idea. So last year I was in my final year of uni. I was quite involved with the Evangelical Students Group there, ES. It's a bunch of Christian uni students who get together to read God's Word, to pray with each other, to learn more about Him, to worship Him, and most importantly, to reach our campus with the good news of Jesus. If anyone watching is currently at uni and um, not involved with ES, I would wholeheartedly recommend that you go and check them out, see what they're all about. I'm sure you'll love it. Anyway, at the end of each year, in about December, there's a huge event held in Canberra called NTE. stands for National Training Event about three or 4,000 people attend it. It's absolutely huge and crazy, but awesome. The theme last year was Encountering God, Hearing Him Speak. One of the sessions was on the Holy Spirit and how God reveals himself to us through his Bible and how that is a lot more supernatural than we give it credit for. Now, in talking about the Bible... David Walter, who was the speaker last year, summarised to us that the Bible is written by God through people to others about Jesus for us. And he showed us this little graphic. So written by God through people to others about Jesus for us, which is, in my opinion, a really nice overview. So it would seem, right, that the easiest and most spiritual way to get to know God is for it to go straight from God to me, through his spirit. Right? Like, like this. But could this even somehow be ignoring the Holy Spirit? What? I hear you ask. Well, Let's see. In the next image we can see that the Holy Spirit was at work through the whole process of The Long Way Round. God spoke by his Spirit at the start. Then the Spirit worked in and through the people who wrote the Scriptures. Then the Spirit spoke to the original audience. And the Spirit points us to Jesus. And the Spirit even speaks to our hearts today when we're reading the Bible. Isn't that cool? Now, hopefully you can see that God's plan to use his written word to communicate and reveal himself to us is, is in fact, incredibly supernatural. The Holy Spirit, who Paul's been talking about, is present in every single stage of the journey from God to us. This is how God's wisdom has been revealed to us. This is how we can really personally, deeply know God through the work of his spirit in his word. And that leads us to the question that we hear so often, yet the importance of which we can't overstate. How's our Bible reading going? Are we even giving God the opportunity to speak to us, to reveal himself to us in the way that he desired, in the way that he planned? Because if we're not spending time in our Bibles, How can we expect to know God? How can we expect to know his wisdom and be transformed by it? How can we expect to have a proper relationship with him? And if you're listening tonight and you're not a Christian, this is what I'd encourage you to try. Try reading the Bible. We believe that God does reveal himself through his spirit in his word. So find a copy of the Bible, download an app, and start reading. And if you are a Christian here and consistent Bible reading, something that you struggle with, try giving soap a go. We as a church are really getting behind this Bible study method. We think it's an incredible way to help us get into the Bible more and also get more out of it. So spending time in the Bible something that I struggle with, something that I'm sure many of you struggle with. But it's so incredibly important that we can't just give up on it. God wants to reveal himself to you and to me. He's eager to reveal himself. He desires to communicate you, to you. He wants you to spend time with him, getting to know him. He wants this even more then you want to spend time with those friends that you haven't seen for a month. Now, if we recognize the incredible importance of the work of the Spirit in the revelation of God to us, we seem to run up against the question, what about unbelievers? It seems that the idea of only being able to properly know and understand God when he reveals himself to us leads to the conclusion that if we don't have God's spirit, we can't understand the gospel. And Paul comes to this conclusion as well. In verse 14, he says that the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. For they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now this can sound pretty harsh but after what we've seen recognising that God's wisdom his eternal plan for salvation for the salvation of his people through Jesus on the cross that that can only be understood when it is revealed to us by his spirit it makes a lot of sense. It's complete foolishness to a person who can't understand. And it makes me think of that quote by Friedrich Nietzsche. Those who were seen dancing were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music. Can you picture that? I think it's even more relatable to us today than it was in his time. Can you imagine seeing someone doing hip-hop or any of the other crazy dances of today and not being able to hear that music? It would look really strange. We've got to admit that. And the person without God's Spirit, they can't hear the music that we're dancing to. They consider insane this upside-down view of the world that God has revealed to us through his wisdom and his Spirit. They can only see the wisdom of the world. And I'm sure most of us have had an experience with this truth that Paul is explaining and felt the impact of it. Maybe you've been trying for years to get your family member to take your faith seriously and they just see it as nonsense. Maybe you've been trying to explain God's plan for salvation and history to one of your friends, but they just don't seem to be getting it. Maybe you get laughed at because you're the Christian and who could believe in such fairy stories? Yet we... We who have had these things revealed to us by God, we know to us what seems foolish in the eyes of the world. That is really our salvation. In the past, this idea of people not being able to understand has led me to try a more logical approach and reason people into their faith. Surely, I think, if they just understand and can agree and accept this, this logical argument that I believe is really good evidence for the existence of God. Surely, if they accept that, they'll understand, they'll get to know God, they'll start being in a relationship with Him. But so far, it hasn't worked. What I have seen, though, is the power of the Spirit of God at work through the Word. Of God. One of the guys I knew at uni was a very staunch atheist, and through the power of the Spirit, through Bible reading and through prayer, he, he was soon a very convicted Christian. He was so affected by the Bible that he read the whole thing in three months. Now, that seems crazy to us who sometimes can't think of even reading the whole thing in a year. But what does that mean for us and our evangelism? Should we just give up because these people can't understand? That they can't understand the gospel because because they don't have God's spirit? Definitely not. As much as it might seem sometimes, evangelizing is never, never a futile effort. We need to be sharing the gospel. And when our friend or our family member doesn't understand, what do we do? We pray and pray and pray some more. We pray that God's spirit might open their eyes, that God might reveal himself to them through his spirit, that he might show them his wisdom. We humans can't predict How and when God's Spirit will move. We can't predict when God will choose to use His Spirit to reveal Himself to someone. But we can be faithful in prayer and we can be faithful in sharing the gospel with them. So, to wrap up, let's read the last two verses of this passage and focus on the final few words. Verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, although what we believe is strange to outsiders and completely upside down to the world, We have the mind of Christ. The thoughts and wisdom of God have been revealed to us through his spirit. Let's find comfort in that. This isn't just philosophy and worldly wisdom. It's a relationship that God has invited us into. Let's come before God with thankful hearts in worship and praise him for that. Would you all please join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the preaching of your word. We thank you that you're, you, you are at work through your spirit in your word, that we might understand the truths and your, that you give us and your wisdom. We thank you for showing yourself to us that you desire so much to be in a relationship with us that you would reveal yourself to us and make yourself known to us. And we're thankful for the cross, the wisdom that you have prepared before all ages for the plan for your plan of our salvation, for our glory. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you would open the eyes of our friends and our family who don't know you. Would your spirit do a mighty work there, we pray. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.